Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. God said it's not good for Adam to dwell alone. I know that by theological truth. I know that by practical experience also. Amen. And uh, wonderful just to uh, value marriage. Amen. Wonderful to value our union. Uh, You know, in speaking about grace, 1 Peter 3, 7 says that husbands live with consideration together with your wives. Or with knowledge, King James says. For as the weaker vessel, she is the weaker vessel, live with consideration and with knowledge towards her. And it says, honor her, honor her in that state, because she together with you are joint participants of the grace of life. So there's a, something biblically, biblically called the grace of life that is accessible within the context of marriage when the husband comes to understand the fragility, the weakness of his wife, understands her completely. Um, you can never love your wife until you understand how Christ loves the church. Because the husband is to love the wife as Christ loves the church. Every husband should have a revelation of the love of Christ in order to fully love his wife acceptably and completely. Amen. So absent the revelation of Christ and his love for the church, um, no potential husband or existing husband can completely understand and love his wife and so access grace. It says if you don't do that, she, you can access grace alone, but there's a place where you do it as joint participants to access the grace of life. So for all the young people courting, young ladies, let me give you a tip. If the boy comes to you, first question you must ask him, before we go ahead, brother, do you have a revelation of how Jesus loves the church? Because if you don't have that, then I don't have a chance with you. Right? That's the first question you must ask. And uh, I've determined when he does come home, right, first question I'm going to ask him is, well, it's a given fact that he must be born again. I will first say to him, do you have a revelation of how Christ loves the church? Because you will never love my daughter adequately. If you don't have a rev- and if you don't have, I can teach you the revelation first, right? If you pass that test, and then I want to ask the second question: What is your background? I'm talking land. Do you have ground at the back of you? Do you own some piece of property somewhere? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you can get serious. <laughs> I got that from Ben Clayton's in Zambia. But the second question I would ask him is: Do you mind if I uh, review your bank account? I want to check for one thing. I'm not, I'm not worried about how much you earn. I want to see if you honor God. Because if you're going to marry my daughter, and if you don't learn the principle of how to honor God financially, then my daughter's in trouble under your oversight. Right? I want to make sure my, the guy that my daughter marries knows how to honor God financially. If he's going to take care of them, then I know my daughter's in good hands. Yeah? Amen. Imagine sending your daughter to someone that doesn't know how to honor God financially. These are serious things. I may be joking about it, but these are serious considerations. 
there's been a great sense of God's presence here. Can you feel God? Amen. I don't know. What is it? When I prayed this morning and I prayed in the week, especially in the fasting days, uh, God said to me, I'm going to impart things today to people. There's going to be some impartations of spiritual graces. I want to encourage you, open your heart. Amen. So open your heart and open your life and receive. Everyone say receive. When you come to service, please put your phones either off or on airplane mode. It still great, greatly affects our transmission there. But I don't want anybody else busy with anything else. We must be focused. We must honor the corporate context to which we've come. Amen? So everyone say total, total attention. Amen? Total attention. You know what the Peter and John said to the man at the gate? Beautiful, look on us. The Bible says, and Peter, fixing his gaze on him, said to him, look on us. It's amazing how much you miss because of a lack of focus, a lack of, lack of fixation in the mind. Not with the eyes of your, un, of your natural eyes. I'm talking with the eyes of your understanding. You know that you, you see through your eyes. You don't see with your eyes. Your eyes are a gate. What you see, how you make sense of reality, is with the mind. So you see through your eyes with your mind. So that's what the Bible says, the eyes of your under. Standing, being in, being enlightened. Not one eye, there are many eyes. Plural, it says eyes of your understanding. So every time you engage the word is an opportunity for more eyes of your understanding to open. Amen. And the entrance of God's word will bring light and understanding even to the simple. Now I want to continue on what we started on Wednesday. When I say we had a phenomenal session here, I trust many of you that missed, that missed it were able to catch it via the recording. It's imperative if you miss sessions that you listen to it because there will be gaps in your understanding. For the sake of those who are faithfully coming, I cannot rehearse what we've done. I need to go on to other, to other things. But it's important that you, you rehearse it. Just in quick summary, what we said was this. Grace compositional nature of God as spirit beckons to give. If God is a God of grace, in grace is a characteristic that begs to give out from itself. So even before the foundations of the world, before creation, it was already decided in God who is full of grace to make man as a physical representation out from his being. Heaven and earth were created because of that fact. Heaven and earth only have relevance because God in eternity past decided to make a visible representation of himself called man. So outside of the creation of man, heaven and earth got no purpose except to serve the purposes of God vested in man. So in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. But before there was that beginning of the account of the creative process where heaven and earth were, were, were made, before that, the Bible says this about you and I, that God chose you in Christ before the foundations of the world. When were you chosen? Come on, say, when were you chosen? 
in, say, in Christ before the foundations of the world. So when was your election? When was your selection? When did God choose you? Before the worlds began. The, the act of creation was only an outcome of your choice. Your choosing of God. Amen? Isn't that a marvelous thought, eh? That, that God, before he, he made anything physical, already decided of a reality in his being. So anything physical was only made because of that fact. So heaven and earth were designed to serve the purposes of God in man, that purpose being that man would accurately represent in a physical scene dimension all of the invisible attributes and characteristics of an eternal God, a pre-existent eternal God, right? You are the visibilization of an invisible God. You are the showpiece of things in God that cannot be seen, but God has chosen to be seen and known in and through you. You are the Son of God in the earth. So Jesus would say, when they said to him, if you've seen my Father, you have seen me. What am I? I am the visibilization of the unseen God. The scripture says, no man has seen the Father at any time. Jesus is not contradicting that statement. Where the scripture says, no man has seen the Father at any time. He said to his disciples, you have seen the Father if you've seen me. Who am I? I am Son. The Son showcases the, the Father. But where, where did you, the first man, how was he fashioned? From the dust of the earth and God did what? God gave breath, which is what? Ruach, spirit. What is in spirit? Grace. What is the compositional makeup of spirit? Grace. So the first act of a gracious God was to give. Listen carefully. You will never fully understand financial giving if you don't understand the nature of grace that beckons to give out from itself, to demonstrate something. Yeah? People have been trying to observe financial principles from the domain of works or the flesh, but not from the position of grace. Yeah? And so, grace seeks to, to, to give out from itself. Now, do you know that even heaven was a is a created reality? Heaven is not eternal. Heaven is not pre-existent. Heaven had a starting point, although it existed in Christ before the worlds began. So, heaven and earth were made in the beginning. Everyone say, in the beginning. Right? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. What did God make on day one? What did he say on day one? Let there be what light? Not sunlight. Because sun was only made on day four. So this can't be a distinction between day and night. The word light there. And the New Testament would say what? The New Testament would say God is light. Not so? Jesus said, I am the, the light of the world. Do you know day one was the, was the expression or the revelation of the nature and essence of the pre-existent God? Yeah? The eternal God, it was, I call it, Apostle often references this as the self-revelation of God. Right? The self-revelation of God. God chose to make himself uh, from the darkness reveal the, the light. Okay? Um, heaven was made on day two. 
right? I think, when was the earth made? Day three, was it? Yeah, the earth was made on day three. Watch, sun, moon, and stars on day four. What is, what is preeminent in God's mind? Sun, moon, stars, or the earth? In the order of things, earth came before sun, moon, stars, right? So what is, the earth is the venue. Everyone says this is the venue. This is nothing more than, you know, when you go to a function, time, date, and venue. When God informed all the angels, there must have been, say, okay, you've got this plan to visualize yourself. Where's the venue? God said, it's all planet Earth. Right? But I'll make heaven before, the heaven will be the resource of the Earth. I'll put the man on the Earth as the, the portal or the point from which I will beam myself in and out from to the rest, not just of the earth, but to all of creation. So that the Bible says in Ephesians that the church, through the church, the wisdom of God will be made known to who? To powers and principalities. If like there's this massive God, light, big God, he zoop into a man, says my son, and from you, my wisdom, not just to the earth, to unseen powers and principalities, that you are my son, and you showcase my glory, and in you I will put all of my purposes in. Now, if the first expression of all of that you can describe as a gracious act on God's behalf to give out from himself into the man, if that man in the earth is to beam all the stuff off out from himself to the rest of the creative order, that man has got to do that by the very principle that initiated God to act in the first place. The act of God to that initiated stuff was a gracious act. Everyone say a gracious act. So God was not satisfied to have all of the stuff in you. You know what I really believe? It might be contentious, but I believe in, it, in deity, in the Godhead. There was always an eternal humanity. For stuff to come out from him, it was there. Hmm? You know, this might shock you, but do you know all materiality existed in deity? Do you know that this chair existed in God? Eh? The tree outside, do you know it existed in God? When God said, let there be birds, do you know an ant existed in God? Everything spoken had to come out from his being. Can you see him? Come on, talk to me. Can you see him? Is he invisible? Yes. You can't see him. He's invisible. So, all visibility came out from invisibility. Now, we as humans try to... Oh, not making sense. How? You cannot understand spiritual things with a rational mind. You cannot understand the Bible with linear thinking. You cannot understand the Bible with a Greek mindset. It takes revelation to understand the scriptures. Yeah? When I see, for example, a pattern in the Bible that grace can be accessed through God, God's grace, He invested in an apostolic principle. And I explain to that to people, I show them in the scriptures, this is true, I can demonstrate it. When people can't see it, blindedness prevents you from accessing a truth. Let me just say this, if God doesn't show you, you will never see it. 
and never experiences. Yeah? But I want to encourage you, listen carefully. It takes grace by which you get saved. And I explained this on Wednesday at length. How grace saved us. And now, listen carefully. I explained on, on Wednesday that grace is not, yes, it's the compositional makeup of God as spirit. Uh, it's unmerited favor, not by works, that by which you got saved and you came into the kingdom. I proved to you from Romans, uh, was it chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, that it's an environment. It's a spatial sphere of existence. Because that scripture says that God called you into this grace in which you stand. Into what are you standing right now? Everyone say grace. So grace is a spatial sphere of existence. According to Ephesians, it's an economy. Paul speaks about the stewardship of the grace of God. An economy is designed to sustain welfare, an economic system. Scripture calls grace is an economy that's able to sustain you for life and for, for godliness. And then I challenge you that if this is true, listen carefully, if you're living in this culture, and if when you got saved, there was nothing you could do in your human effort to get saved, now being saved, watch carefully, to grow in grace, you need to position yourself correctly in a certain behavior or attitude. And I demonstrated to you that even that is by grace and not by you. Yeah? So you've got to obey by grace, incline yourself to it, and the moment you give inclination towards it, grace kicks in as God's enabling power, as God's empowerment to propel you to please Him in a certain respect, so that at no stage could it be said, it was you, it's all grace. Hmm? At no stage could it be said, I did that, therefore God responded. No, you could only position yourself because God's grace led you there. Tell your neighbor, be more grace aware. Be more grace conscious. You know why? There's a whole bunch of scriptures that link grace with giving. So if you're going to try to give based upon human capacity, you will never come to a place of obedience or a level of giving that God has in store for you because you're trying to do it in your own flesh. But if you tap into the, the power of grace, grace will cause you to give way beyond human capacity. How did the Macedonians give? I don't want to go to the scripture because of time. What did Paul reference? I'll quote him, 2 Corinthians 8. He says, I wish to make known to you what? The, the grace of God upon the Macedonians. And then he says two things. Deep poverty, but they gave. Great trial, but they're joyful. How can people be joyful in great trial? And how can people from, not just poverty, deep poverty. Now, who's been in deep poverty? There's poverty, shallow poverty, but deep poverty. It says deep poverty, they, they gave liberally. The Macedonians defined the limitation of their condition, and they gave two, two ways. Paul says they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. Why? Because of the, the grace of God upon them. I want to encourage the church. Please listen carefully. If there's a call to give, or if you feel that you need to be consistently obedient in the matter of tithes, offerings, and first fruit, 
and you're finding it hard, I'm suggesting partly to you that perhaps you're trying in your own strength to please God. But if you, if you tap into what grace, the grace made available to you, that in grace you have the capacity to complete your obedience in those respects. Jesus tasted death how? Hebrews 2, 8 and 9, by the grace of God. What is tasting death? An act of obedience. Philippians says he became obedient unto death. So when it says that he tasted death by the grace of God, means he was obedient by the power that grace gives. Not so? By the power that grace gives. Everyone say God's grace is his empowerment. And then I looked at, for example, just to remind you, because I feel we need to just drive this point before I go on. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul said, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for what is perfected in your weakness. Everyone say power. power. Now say it like it's power. Say power. power. Come on, say power. power. What is sufficient for you? Grace. But then he immediately says power. So God's grace can be seen as God's empowerment in you. Stuff you cannot do on your own strength. You can do by the power of God in you. Right? So the commandments of God are not burdensome, but if you position yourself, grace will propel you to obey where you cannot obey in your own ability nor your own strength. In your own ability nor your own strength. There's a bunch of other scriptures we looked at on Wednesday that basically teach this, that if God's sufficiency of grace is operative in you, you will have a power and ability attendant with you. Out apart from grace, you would not be able to please God. You have to do it in the grace of God. Please, I want to stress this. Come on, guys. I want to stress this. The scriptures must become alive to us. If after, I've quoted 2 Corinthians 8 every week, if after listening to all of that, you must say to yourself, God, wow, God, if the Macedonians from deep poverty can give generously, and your word says they only did it because Paul says the grace of God on them. I want that grace. I want that anointing that causes me to go way beyond present condition, go way beyond present capacity. It's not my ability. I want to tap into, listen, a God that made me before the foundation of the world. He's, before there was a heaven and an earth, not one human being. And the Bible says he's a God full of grace. And the first act of that God full of grace was to give, to pour out from himself. Then I want to have that same capacity in me where at any time I will not count the cost I don't mind inconveniencing myself to convenience another because it will be an expression of the quality of grace that is in me. Grace that does not know how to give out is not grace at all. Grace that cannot make sacrifices to enrich another is not grace at all. I, I would dare challenge anyone. If you claim to have grown in grace... But more, if you claim to be full of it, like Jesus was, full. Everyone say full. Full of the grace of God. And a few weeks ago, I gave you this, remember? 22 ways of growing in grace. 
Did we not discuss this at length for the past few months? So no one here is without excuse in terms of how you can grow in grace. I would encourage you to revisit this. Right? You position yourself in certain respects. Like, for example, one thing here is humility. God gives grace to the humble, but a proud man he will resist. Right? And I went through 50 expressions of pride. So, you're saying, Randolph, I hear what you're saying, still hard to give. Just one question, one thought out of the 22 ways of accessing grace. Just one. Are any of the 50 expressions of pride still in you? If that is the case, grace is passing you by. I'm saying you can only function from grace. Grace that saved you is not enough to keep you obedient in your path to maturity. The scriptural requirement is that you grow in grace. Everyone say, grow in it. Do you know, I'll give you some examples like I promised, if I can get there. Let me just give you one example. Just put Acts 8, verse 6, New American Standard. Acts 6, 8, sorry. The Bible says, Stephen, full of what? Full of? Come on, say it like you mean it. Grace and what? Is God's grace God's empowerment? Yes. There are a bunch of scriptures that, that speak about this. Right? So, Stephen means ruler, crowned. He's a, remember our Kingdom Economics Conference? Our Kingdom, Kingdom of God Conference we had with Sean? We are expected to be rulers in this life. Was Stephen the recipient of grace? Yes or no? Yes. From who? From the 12 apostles at the church at Jerusalem. He was serving them. How do I know that? He was one of the first of seven deacons among the group that were chosen. Right? And he served. Right? He gave out from himself. Grace gives. Say it again. Grace gives. Grace gives. And do you know what? When the chips were down and then it came to giving his life, no problem even to give that too. A man full of grace can give his life easily. Some people can't give their money, never mind your life. This man proves I will stand for what I believe as true of the Lord Jesus Christ and for that he paid a high price. They stoned him to death. And he offered his life like the Lord Jesus would. He gave his life because of what in him? What in him? Grace in him. What did, who was standing authorizing his death? Saul of Tarsus. Not Paul yet. He's still the unsaved guy killing Christ. The Bible says Saul standing and commissioning, authorizing Stephen's death as they took rocks and threw it on his head, bashed him until the man died. And before he died, what did Stephen say? Lifted up his hands. And the Bible says he saw the heavens open. And the Lord Jesus, standing. Everyone say standing. He should be seated at the right hand. We know that, right? But there was, he stood for, Jesus stood for this one. Son, he's coming home. <laughs> coming home, I'm going to stand for this one. See, grace responds to grace. Jesus is full of grace. He recognizes a man full of grace that knows how to give even his life. Right? And he said, Father... Do not hold the sin against their charge. In other words, I 
forgive. Later on, I'm going to do a series, not a series, uh, uh, one session in the series. I titled it as, Before You Give, Forgive. And I'll talk about some of you are giving, and you don't have the reward of harvest that you should be because of relational issues. And I'll prove to you that it's pointless being faithful financially if you are failing relationally. The act of grace knows how to forgive. Notice the word give is in give and it's even in forgive. Forgive says, I let you go. Do you know when you forgive, you're actually giving? You're expressing grace. You are transmitting the grace of God whenever you give in this fashion. So I want to encourage you that grace knows how to give. Say with me, Stephen, a man full of grace and power. Right? A man full of grace and power. A lot of scriptures translate this as faith. You'll see some versions. I, I, to research this thoroughly, the original uh, manuscripts say grace. He was full of grace and power. And he was able to give. He gave serving in deaconship. Gave his life ultimately for the Lord. If you are struggling to give anything, if you are struggling to give anything, I want to encourage you, access the grace of God within you. Amen? Uh, on, on Friday, we were at dinner with short, uh, Fiona's parents. It was just Fiona's parents, Fiona and myself. They were leaving the next day, so I just wanted to spend some time with them. And uh, we saw a letter and Lenny, there she letter at the back there, in the corner of the restaurant on the other end. So we went to greet them, etc. Came back. Then the Lord said to me, pay their bill. So I knew they were going to finish their dinner before me. So I called the waiter. I said, that family there, they're not permitted to pay for anything. No matter what they say, bring the bill here. And I saw a little tussle going on in the corner there <laughs> with her and Lenny and the waiter there. In any case, they came, and the waiter was bringing the bill. So he's bringing the bill to me. I'm sitting there. Uh, uh, Les, Fiona's dad's next to me. Doreen, guy's bringing the bill. And then Les fighting with me as to who's going to pay. <laughs> so I told the waiter, Brew, I asked for the bill. And Les says, no, you listen to me. Our bill. Now the waiter doesn't know what to do. He says, hey, guys, not my fight. He's telling you not to. Whatever you guys want to do. You see, in the old season, you shied away from paying to let the responsibility go to another. Grace says, grace says this, every opportunity I have, I will demonstrate my willingness to give. Right? Even at great cost. I will demonstrate my willingness to give. Right? And then okay, they thanked us. And unbeknown to me, a letter went down before they left and she bought some stuff some nice dessert stuff for us to take home. So, wow, you're reaping already. Well, I, oh, by the way, I didn't end up paying for the bill, led out his way. I respected his seniority. Okay, no problem. You're more senior than me, I bow. I want to encourage you, look for every opportunity to, to give. Amen. So we're reversing our car outside of the parking lot, same night. The car, bought, the car got so nice to us, guiding me out. I look at my wallet, there's no small change. 
Only notes there, big notes. And the Lord said, give him one. Oh, I said, okay. Louis says, oh. I said, bless you, brother, and go. What am I practicing? I'm practicing my giving nature. Grace beckons to give out from itself. Let me just say this. If you claim to be full of grace, and if there's an opportunity to give, you know that you are growing in grace when you migrate away from a consideration as to how least to give toward as to how much to give. When you can migrate from the consideration in your mind. You know, when, when it comes to giving, people will say, what's the least I can give? If that's your mindset, and you migrate to where there's an opportunity, and your predominant mindset is, what is the max I can give? Then I know you're growing in grace. If you're still thinking like an orphan mindset with insecurity issues, the verse that Andy read in Matthew was powerful, eh? After Jesus talking about mammon, then he says, don't worry for your life. The orphan wants to keep aside for preservation and will not be obedient to God when God says, give as I give. You know, grace gives generously. The one thing that James Strong said about the Greek word charis, James Strong is a Greek scholar, he says, grace seeks to be benevolent and generous. You can't talk grace and not speak about liberality. God gives abundantly, not so? Don't be serving abundant God, yeah? I was driving on the coast uh, last week, and I looked on Durban coastline, and I'm looking at the vastness of the sea. In my heart, I just said, oh God, how great you are. I'm looking at this ocean. I mean, 90% of the ocean is untapped, undiscovered. And there's this planet says, what are, my thoughts are, what are you hiding under there? There's depths that man hasn't fully discovered yet. The galaxy we don't know a thing about. How big is our God? How gracious? How generous? When I think of His vastness, I think, me in my small world, I want to practice that bigness of yours. I want to give like you, I want to give like you created the world. I want to show how big you are by, by filtering that capacity in and through me. Amen? How big. You know what Paul says? Later on, I'll show it to you. When he talks about the Macedonians, he says, this gift of yours will cause many, many people to give glory and thanksgiving to God. Yeah? Your gift activates Judas. I'll show you that in a study. Remember the lady broke the alabaster box, poured it on, on Jesus, and Judas said, what is this waste? He had the wrong approach to bounty, the wrong approach to generosity, the wrong approach to liberality. He had his eye on the... On the box, here is a lady taking one year's worth of perfume. One, one year's worth. One year's worth of wages to buy this perfume. It was precious nard. Everyone say nard. Right? 11 months worth of wages. And she poured it on Jesus. And what did Judas say? What is all this waste? What? And then Jesus said, leave it alone. And notice what Jesus says. For in doing this, she has prepared me for burial. An offering can prepare the body of Christ for the next phase of their journey. She offered the, and poured on the body of Christ to face the cross. Our offerings, where's the body of Christ now? He's not physically here for us to anoint him, but he is here in his, in his church, which is the body of Christ. And every time we give lavishly, 
Do you know that you are preparing the body to go into the fullness of the next phase of their destiny? Amen? Who loves being at church? Come on, if you don't, if you don't love being here, you shouldn't be here. Who loves being at church? Who believes we have a purpose? Who believes we have a calling? A destiny. Now listen, this, is, this, this meeting is going to be different. I'm, say, you know, I'm away from my notes completely. I'm saying to you, whenever I give, I tell my mind, I'm giving to prepare the body of Christ. Barnabas gave the proceeds of the sale of his property, put the money at the apostles' feet. He gave momentum. He turned the wheels at the rate at which apostles were doing things. Although anointed, they needed money. Yeah? So every offering fuels feet, fuels the momentum, right? And things progress. The Bible says concerning this woman, leave her alone. We look at this account in greater detail later on. But he said, leave her alone for she has anointed my body for wherever the gospel is preached, mention will be made of this woman. Now you know what the very next verse is. And Judas went out to betray him. Here's one preparing the body, and there's another brew betraying the body. Huh? I'm trusting God. Listen carefully. You see, Judas is a vital part of Jesus' destiny. Yeah? Without Judas, Jesus is not going to the cross. Tell your neighbor, thank God for your Judas. And what Jesus said to him, remember, whatever you do, do, do quickly, right? You must, you must have a proper attitude towards betrayal by friends in your life. Don't get unduly hurt by the process. If you understand how God uses these things, he uses even some of the worst experience to hasten your destiny. Yeah? Judas is a necessary part of the fulfillment of destiny. But he, he expresses something vastly different. And you know what the Bible says? I would have, there are three accounts of this woman's anointing in the Gospels. Some theologians argue there are two separate accounts. I'm not going to go into all of that now. Whatever you've used are, doesn't matter. But at one stage, Jesus said, when he was in, I think, Simon the leper's home, he said, this woman has been forgiven much, therefore she loved much. She has been forgiven much, so she loves much, and is expressed by how she gave. How many of you are grateful that God rescued you, saved you, turned your life around, came through for you when all hell was against you, when, when everything was stacked, but God came through, yes? Now I'm forever grateful for the cross. I love that song that Graham Kendrick wrote. Oh, by the way, Graham Kendrick also wrote, Knowing You, Jesus. Graham Kendrick, one of the greatest songwriters from England. Remember he wrote that song, You Did Not Wait For Me To Draw Near To You. But you clothed yourself with frail humanity. You did not wait for me to reach out for you. Yet I hear your voice calling me. And I'm forever grateful to you, the chorus. I'm forever grateful for the cross. I'm forever grateful to you that you came to seek and save the lost. Remember that song? Right? And so God did not wait for a response or wait for us to accept him. Right? He knew in time that would happen, but he, may, he paid the price even before that process. Yeah? Right? And I want to encourage you. You see, we often say, and I know the principle is true in some respects, but be very, very careful. Take seed 
they say, and sow it into good ground. Well, partly true, because Jesus is the seed. Galatians call him the seed. Seed of Abraham, Christ, is a seed. God sowed him in a fallen world to redeem the world. Sometimes you've got to sow good seed as a seed of redemption into ground which by natural accounts people would say, bad place to sow, bro. But I got testimony after testimony where sometimes you have to sow as a redemptive act into somebody's life. Right? As a physical sign that that person will be redeemed. Maybe God is challenging somebody about that here. I know it by the Spirit. You're waiting for the person to transform before you sow. Well, God did not wait for you. God paid the price. The Bible says, while we were dead in trespass and sin, Christ died for us while we were dead. For some people, while they are dead, you have to sow to them. While they're still recovering, sow to them. I feel the Lord, I feel the Lord saying to us, sow a redemptive seed to someone. Right? Not that that is well off or, or even spiritually mature, still struggling, but let a seed, let, you, let, let your money be a seed of redemption. Amen? But you know, if you think legally, if you think law, you're not going to do that. You've got to function by grace. Grace sees the possibilities where the human mind cannot see the possibilities. Yeah? Grace sees where no man can see. Jesus said of this woman, she loved much, therefore she, she gave much. Now, how much do you love? I'll talk later about giving as an expression of love. It's a whole teaching. But I want to encourage you, give. If ever there's an opportunity to give, I said to you, you know you're growing in grace when your consideration moves from what is the least I can give to what is the, the most I can give. Grace beckons for generosity. It begs to express itself hugely. That's the grace of God. Who needs more grace? Yeah? Who needs more grace? I'm nowhere near where I need to go. <laughs> okay. And I hope we're going to land back here on this page. Okay. But I want to encourage you, grace beckons. Let me just close with Abraham's example. I mentioned it in part on Wednesday. Do you accept that the only reason why the Macedonian church was able to give liberally from deep poverty was because of the grace. Yes or no? Do you accept that the reason, only reason why Stephen served practically and gave his life generously and forgave was because he was full of grace and power? Yes. Do you need to be full of grace and power? Yes. Do you accept a few weeks ago I said to you, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was... Rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That grace in Christ gives out from itself to enrich others. Did Jesus die because of grace? Come on, talk to me. Yes or no? Was he able to give his life because of grace? Remember, he didn't want to at one point. Not my, he said, if it's possible, let this cup go. But the Bible says he tasted by the grace. Grace causes him to obey where human flesh wants to pull him away. But grace is no big weighing. I will go through it, not as a man. I will go through this process full of grace. This meeting is full of grace today. If you haven't perceived it in the spirit, there's an anointing here 
to give you, to impart to you, that will take your operation, not just as a man, but now you're going to become a man full of the grace of God. Yes, Levi. Hallelujah. Amen. That example we did. And then we also did and touched on lightly the boy who gave five loaves. Remember? Why, did he, why was he able to release the five loaves? What does five suggest? The number five is? What does loaves suggest? Bread is what? The word. How do you get grace? To the word. What is fish suggestive of? Fish is suggestive of food for a resurrected body. Jesus, after the resurrection, did not eat bread, but he ate fish. Remember? So fish speaks of the eternal, the invisible, the heavenly. Two speaks about what? Witness and agreement. How many fish were there? Two. So if in the, you see, bread is staple diet. Staple food. Everyone has bread every day. Not so? Except those of us who are banting. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. Bread is like your easy, staple diet. Give us today our daily bread. Right? So in the natural, it's staple diet. You can, in the natural, access the Word of God filled with, full of the grace of God, but access also or function in life from the vantage point of the witness, the two fish, the witness from the invisible unseen realm. So that heaven witnesses with earth or heaven supports earth or what earth does, heaven has already initiated. I believe two fish, five loaves, he's able to give that because that boy himself is a grace-enriched lad. Everyone say lad. Say it again, lad. Say it again, the lad gave. What did Ralph Elias say to this congregation? That we are a lad church. He came here with a prophetic word. Remember he said, like the lad took Samson. The lad guided Samson to the... Without the lad, Samson's got to not going to do that. Not so? What did Abraham say to the, 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 the men at the bottom of the hill when he was on his way to sacrifice Isaac? The lad and I will go and the lad and I are going to come back to you. Who was that lad, by the way? Isaac. Did Isaac give? He gave his life. He laid his life down. The lad principle knows how to give out from itself. By the way, what does Isaac mean? Laughter. You know what James Strong says about charis, the Greek word. He said this, grace is that element in God that causes unprecedented joy in the recipient. If you are full of grace, you should be laughing. <laughs> Maybe I should laugh for some of you to understand. You cannot have grace and be somber, sour discouraged, worst person on the planet to hang around with, gloomy face. If you have grace, let your face show it. Come on, say laugh. You know, I've never been more happy in my life. I've been moving with Fred Hammond this week in my car, booming. You know, it was so loud one of the days. I did not hear the guy hooting at me at the back. I was so caught up. There's a song there. Luke's got into it now. And I'm telling you, guys, I was so happy. And I realized, wow. In the last days, the Spirit will be poured out. 
And it just overwhelmed me. I was still thanking God for the Holy Ghost like crazy this week. Isaac, full of laughter, is representative of the embodiment of grace that knows how to laugh. Listen carefully. He knows how to laugh when he lays his life down. He doesn't give grudgingly nor of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. So watch. From grace, he gives the greatest thing, his life. He lays it down. And listen carefully. His father, Abram, gets a revelation, God is provider. Yeah? God. But who hears that? Isaac hears the same revelation. Isaac never had a provision problem in his life from that point onwards. Because not only did Abraham see the revelation that God is provider, Isaac saw the revelation too. So, the Bible says, in a time of famine, when he's an adult, it's famine everywhere, but this brew, the Bible says, he sows seed in unideal conditions. He sows seed in famine, and in the same year reaps a hundredfold. He's defying what? Like the Macedonians, he's, they defy deep poverty, Isaac's defying famine. No wise farmer will sow seed in famine. This, this guy says, well, this is how I think Isaac is thinking. He's saying, well, I've been the recipient of grace from my papa, Abraham. Because his name was changed from Abraham to Abraham. And I told you, the name change from Abraham to Abraham is an insertion of the fifth letter of the alphabet. Not so? The fifth letter of the alphabet. So Abraham is his grace-enriched papa. The son receives grace from the Father, remember I taught you, through an act of obedience unto death. Remember we did this. When a son is prepared to obey unto death, there's an unusual level of grace deposit that comes into him. Remember Esther? I'll go to the king if I perish, I perish. The son Esther obeys Mordecai's command. Remember Ruth? Ruth obeyed Naomi, the spiritual father, went to lie at Boaz's feet. If I die, I die in the process of obedience, then God be blessed. Isaac does the same thing. And Isaac, I believe, that day gets imbued with such grace that in his time, listen here carefully, please. He sows seed as a seed already sown. He gave his life as a seed. So now when he takes any seed to sow, the ground respects him. Because his gifts don't change anything. It's from the position of the man that he is that sows. That the environment responded to. And the Bible says in the same year, he reaped a hundredfold. Remember he dug wells? And all the Philistines started quarreling with him. And they started claiming his well. There were four wells, remember? Essex, Sitna. Forget the, the last one was Rehoboth. Forget the third one. And you know, a lot of the meanings of those wells mean contention, strife. Right? So he digs a well, water flows. Philistines come and say, hey, our well. He could have said, but I dug it. No problem. Isaac says, he just walks away. And I like the scripture that says, and he dug another well. <laughs> they come and they claim that one. He walks away. And he dug another well. They claim that one. No, no problem. Take it. Fourth one. And he dug another well. You put this guy in any environment, crops grow and water flows. Because of the person 
the representative person that he is. His laughter. You see, grace in any environment works. Yeah? Grace in any environment works. Now when I take my thousand rand or twenty thousand, you know, I long for the day to sow a hundred thousand. I said, God, I want to I want it to feel like what it is. To take a hundred thousand rand to bless somebody. Who wants that feeling? Come on. Come on, you don't where's the faith in this house? Come on. Who wants that capacity? Some of you are struggling with your ten rand. Start with your ten. Young people, start giving stuff away. You know, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham obeyed God repetitively. Remember Genesis 13? He risked his life to rescue Lot. What's that? That's like giving yourself. Right? Remember that? Remember Genesis 14. What does he do? He gets back the spoil, and before he returns it, what does he give? He gave the spoil to his three friends, Aina, Eskol, and Mamre. He gave the 318, the Bible says, a share to each. He first, before all of that, gave his tithe to Melchizedek, and he gave the rest to the king of Sodom and the other kings. He gave away 100%, not just 10%. People are struggling with 10%. This guy gave 100%. Even in the New Covenant, Barnabas did not give 10%. Barnabas gave 100%. Everyone say, ouch. Enough. Where are we going to? What I'm suggesting, brethren, please, you've got to come back Wednesday. Wednesday, I want to preach on the house of grace that gives. But if you, you see, Abraham, that's Genesis 14, was a consistent giver. Genesis 15, he's giving sacrifices to the, to the Lord, remember? Okay, in Genesis 16, He's false prey to the suggestion of his wife to sleep with Hagar to produce Ishmael. Remember? His name is changed in Genesis 17. From Abram to Abraham. Remember? In Genesis 19, I think it is, or 18, he gives in hospitality to the three angelic visitors. Remember that? He's always giving. He gives. He says, no one's leaving my home without the best meal. He says, slaughter the best cough. Hey, Sarah, start baking. So no one's going to leave. I am a giver, he's saying. I'm full of grace, and grace knows how to. Grace knows how to give. Oh, by the way, he even gave Sarah away. He was fearful. King Abimelech wanted her, remember? He, he, he lied. He said, no, I'm not, I'm not the... The sister, it was actually true. It was his, they were brothers and sisters, right? But you see, you can tell, you can say a statement that cannot be reckoned as a lie, but it's still an untruth because it's not an accurate representation of where you are at that point in time. At that point in time, she's not my sister. She's my, she's my wife or half-sister, so to speak. But now she's my wife. So the giver that he is, he wants to even give the wife away. Now, there's a principle. Don't worry, we're not going there, right? We'll keep you. <laughs> yeah? Hey, you know, that night, King Abimelech has a dream, and the Lord comes to him and says, Hey, bro, don't touch that woman. You touch her, you die. He gets up, he calls Abraham, he's, and he says to Abraham, I did this. I wanted to, to go to your wife. 
in the integrity of my heart, he says. But you have caused me to sin. Right? And then Abraham prays that the Lord would forgive. In other words, listen carefully. You must never ever give out of fear. Because he chose to give his wife out of fear. I want to encourage you, not even fear for your own preservation must motivate your giving because that is demonic. Yeah? You must give honorably before the Lord. Yeah? And then you know what the Bible says? The big one. Now God says to him, now I want your son. Give your son. Abraham could not give. You see, if he can't tithe to Melchizedek in Genesis 14, he would never have given the son in Genesis 22. And all the other examples in between. If this guy had not developed a consistent pattern, a repetitive pattern of financial faithfulness, when the big thing came, and let me just say this, I believe there is that gift that God calls you to give that forever changes your destiny. For Abraham, it was an Isaac. Do you know what, what, what God said to Abraham when, when he attempted to, to offer Isaac? He says, no, stop. Now I know what's in your I know what's in your heart. And what the Bible says. What, God, what did God say to Abraham? Now see, I swear. When God swears means, you know when you swear, when you say I swear to you that I'll never do that. You're making an oath. You're making a? God said to Abraham, now bro, I swear because now I know what's in your, I know what's in your heart. And God said to him, see indeed. Everyone say indeed. Indeed, in blessing, I will bless you. Now, you, you know, when, when people say, I am blessed, when you say, I am blessed, what's the primary consideration in your mind? See what I have. If you talk to Abram and you say, Abram, you're blessed. You say, no, see what I gave away. It is more blessed to give than to re. Let me just say this clearly. This is where I'm going to. This church, I prophesy over all of us corporately. We're going to be known as the biggest givers in Durban. People will reference our blessed estate. And we won't say, see how God has blessed us because of what we have. We will say, see how God has blessed us because of what we gave. It is more blessed. Everyone say, more blessed. Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, I will bless you. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Whoever blesses, you are blessed. Whoever curses, you are cursed. He has that in Genesis 12. It is ratified in Genesis 22. When he gave, positionally, was prepared to give the best offering he could give. That for, you know when God says, God got no one higher to swear by, so the Bible says he swore to himself. You know from Genesis 22 onwards, Whatever Abraham would do, nothing would have prevented his destiny from coming to pass. But I want to encourage you, if you are not given to the Lord as a man, like Isaac, he offered his life as a seed before he sowed seed into the ground, and the ground responded to that. Everyone say the grace of giving. I want the grace of I said, God... You saved me by your grace. You gave your son, for God so loved that he gave. Grace gives. If I'm to be a giver, I'm going to function by the quality of grace in me that propels me to give. I'm not going to do it as a man. I'm going to do it as a spiritual man full of grace. 
Hallelujah. Come on, are you challenged this morning? Prepare the body of Christ. I say to you prophetically, like the woman with the alabaster box. Prepare this body for their next penetration into the purposes of the Lord by how you give. You become the seed before you sow your seed. Don't sow your seed if you are not the seed. Your offering reflects your nature. The image of God in you should be reflected in your offering. Right? That's why Jesus took a coin and says, whose image is on this coin? It's Caesar's. They said, he said, the famous passage, render to Caesar what is? Caesar's and to God what is? People only stop there reading to Caesar what is Caesar's. He was saying, give to God what is? God's. Although Caesar's image is on that coin, Jesus was saying, my father's image will be symbolically embossed upon that when you render it to him. You should be walking out from this meeting saying, therefore, I cannot wait for an opportunity to demonstrate this. Start with the beggar in your road. Start with your tithe, offerings, your first fruit. Do you know what I wrote in my notes? It just dawned upon me in the week. Abraham paid tithes before he paid first fruits. Isaac was the first fruit offering. It was the only son he had. Not so? Well, from God's perspective, the only son. Although Ishmael was born before Isaac, God did not reckon Ishmael as the son of Abraham. Right? He says, why do I know that? Because God said to him, take your son, comma, your only son. When God says only, Abraham, but there's another one, another one here called Ishmael. Okay, he's already out of the house at that point in time. But from God's vantage point is that, let me just, you know, I, this dawned upon me. Uh, I was up hoppers four in prayer in my office. I wrote this on Facebook. If you look at my early morning comment on Facebook, it's this. I said something to this effect. The change in Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham represents an insertion of grace. Abram, high father. Abram, father of a multitude. And I said this. Abram produced Ishmael as Abram. But he produced Isaac as Abraham. Abram could not produce Isaac. Abraham produced the son of promised. Yeah? You've got to get the revelation. So works of the flesh will produce the, the Ishmael. You do it in your own strength with your Hagar. But a grace inserted life will produce the God result. The grace inserted life will produce the God result. God was saying to me, Randolph, you know, I'm going to rely on grace much more than ever before. I'm dying to teach you a segment called rest. We do a segment called rest. It's not inactivity, but it's a position in the spirit where you rely on God's grace and not your efforts, not your works, all about God. You know, it's just been a recent revelation that's bulging in my spirit right now. Right? We were in the studio yesterday afternoon. The singers, the ladies were there. The music's coming out wonderful. The first song is almost ready. We've got 11 more to go. <laughs> 12 tracks on the CD. The singers, there was an anointing there, not so, in the studio. 
and I left prematurely, well, early to fetch Renee from the airport. And I'm saying, praying to God, that God, let this product be all by grace. So we'll do what we have to, but you drive our efforts. We don't want to just produce an album and put it out, but it must be. You see, if something is a product of flesh, it won't stand. But if it's the product of the grace of God, it will please God. The son of promise. So do you all understand? Abram could not produce Isaac. Only Abraham could produce Isaac. Sarai suggested that Hagar produce Ishmael. But Sarai could not produce Isaac. Sarai had to be changed to Sarah. Sarai means strife, contention. Sarah means a noble woman. The grace-inserted man, Abraham now, full of grace, needs a womb without strife to insert seed and produce a son that God honors and is able to use. Lift your hands to the Lord. Stand with me. Listen, listen please, brethren. This does not only apply to money. I keep saying this, although we title our series Kingdom Economics, when we deal with it, you can apply these principles to a host of, a host of other areas. The Ishmael will not produce something that pleases God, but laughter will. The Isaac, which means laughter, which is symbolic of grace that brings joy to the recipient. Oh, tell your neighbor, laugh a while. Come on, tell someone, laugh a while. Tell someone you have a right to be happy. <laughs> Errol, you have a right to be happy. Newman, you have a right to be happy. You won't only be happy when you find him. You'll be happy now. Hallelujah. You have a right to be happy, all of you. Tell, tell someone again, you have a right to laugh. I want this church to be the most joyful church on the planet. People coming here, they must feel the joy. We are happy people. Don't worry. We should actually sing it. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Matthew 6, Jesus said, Andy read this morning, do not worry for your life. If you are worrying anxiously for your personal provision, it's proof mammon has got a hold of you. Because the previous verse, he said, you cannot serve two masters. Amen? Next week is Father's Day, is it? I want to minister next week about the fatherhood of God in reference to finances. I saved that for Father's Day. I'm dying to get into it. But next week, I want, to come, I want you to come here without honoring, I'm not working for honor or even honoring your, your wives, if your husband is a father, etc., or any of the fathers, we're going to come to honor Father God, Amen. our Papa. I'm going to show you how he will take care of you in every circumstance. Amen? Our Papa, our Daddy, Father God, we are sons of the Father, joint heirs with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray again for the gift of giving. I'll explain this gift on Wednesday. I don't have time to explain the gift of giving. When something is a gift, like some people have faith, but some people have the gift of faith. Different economies. All believers are expected to have wisdom. The wisdom of Christ. But there are some that have the gift of wisdom. We all have discernment. Some just have the gift. They take what is true, a true, what is true for a disposition... And the gift enhances its effect at a far greater level. Romans 12 talks about a gift of giving. Come on, do you want that gift? Yeah. Lift your hands before the Lord.
If something is given to you as a gift, you know, uh, Ephesians speaks about the gift, the free gift of grace. I love that scripture, the gift of grace. Grace is a gift. And if you have grace as a gift, grace itself gives out from the reception of its giftedness. Right? You give. So, Father, we thank you that we can come to you boldly, yet humbly, in Jesus' name. We lay no great store by our own merits to have accomplished anything in our efforts to please you. Today we rely on your mercy. We rely on your grace. We thank you for salvation. We were once dead in trespass and sin. Yet you reconciled us back to yourself. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that once we were alienated from the life of God. Uh, children of, of wrath. Sons of disobedience, but by your grace, you have drawn us in. You have drawn us near. We say like the, the hymn writer, oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. How great is salvation that we must not neglect. How great is your salvation. Now we stand in it, stand in your grace, and we lift up our hands, and we want to be like you, God who gave out from your personhood of spirit grace before there was a world, Lord Jesus, you gave your life freely. Your grace, which was rich, but for our sakes, you became poor. We want that capacity. We want that ability. We lift our hands in sheer faith. No matter what level of it we have now, God, by faith, every one of us receives a new impartation of this anointing in Jesus' name. Right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I impart to you, church, as God's representation, the gift of giving. I impart that capacity to you. As Paul says, I long to see you, that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. Church, I see you, and by faith, according to your faith, receive it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will give of your time unselfishly. You will give of your talents and your skills. You will give of your finances. If it comes down to it, you will even give your life for the sake of the gospel. But you will be the greatest giver you know. You'll be like Stephen, a man full of grace and power. God's power will be made perfect in your human weakness. You might feel weak, weak in your flesh, weak in your disposition. Now I speak strength. The grace of God strengthens you every one of you mentally, spiritually, physically, now in the precious name of Jesus. Receive it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.